Welcome to Hope Today. Man, we're excited that you're here. My name's Nate, if you haven't met me yet. And I'm the lead pastor here at Hope. And I, I am so excited that we are in this daily series. Have you been edified, encouraged by the dailies? Go ahead, go, yes, yes. Come on. This is a series, yes, about the aggressive mercy of God that chases you down. God's not just good, he's aggressively good. And David said in the Bible, surely mercy and goodness, goodness and mercy are aggressively chasing me down. God is chasing me down with his second chance. And that mercy is simply this, uh, I'm getting what I don't deserve. It's a second chance that I didn't earn. I, I, can't, I can't work my way for it. I can't like prove to God that I deserved it after it happens. It's a second chance that's chasing me down. Everybody say, surely goodness and chances are chasing me down. And David said, Where, what, 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 oh, of course, I'll be in the house of the Lord forever. Where else could I go but from your presence? Of course. And then he says, man, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Of course I will forever. Because goodness and mercy are chasing me down. I, I just want to run to him as he runs after me. And he's running after me. And I'm running after him. That's called the dailies. Everybody say, mercy that chases every single day. Every day, his second chance mercy chases you down. He's looking for what's right with you. He wants to wipe your record clean. He wants to give you a fresh start every day. We have chances chasing us, whether you recognize it or not. And it's fresh and new, and it's every single morning. I mean, his mercy always meets us in the middle of every mess. If you didn't listen to last week, we talked about mercy in the middle. And also, if you're not following on the dailies, we talked about all the blesseds. And he says, mercy is right there in the middle. And he says, in Micah 6, 8, uh, walk, do justly. W walk humbly on this side. And mercy right smack dab in the middle. We'd love for you to catch up and join the dailies online. Go ahead. We'll, we'll get on the dailies. So if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you, pull out your phone. Go to NY Hope Church right now and start receiving the dailies. They're new every morning into your inbox with us. You know, Hope Church, again, is a place where we're looking forward to good things. Hope is a place where no matter what, everybody say no matter what, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you have or don't have, no matter what you look like, no matter your background, no matter your deepest, darkest secret that if anybody knew, you are just right for Jesus here and you belong at Hope Church. We believe that. You are just right for Jesus today. And you belong in this place. So today we're going to be jumping into a story that exemplifies this in Luke 7, 36. And we love Jesus. We follow his life throughout the Bible. And today we're going to glean and learn from the life and the actions and the attitude of our Savior named Jesus. Okay? Jesus is everything to us. And we're excited to share him with you today. You might discover the hope that we found in Jesus. But before we do that in Luke chapter 7, we're going to go to Luke chapter 6 and get a little context. Because God is supernaturally ordering the details of the storyline of Christ's life so we can learn from it. Are you ready? And, and the account we're going to look at builds towards mercy. It builds towards a second chance. Notice what he's talking about in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37. Some people love this verse. Judge not. Remember, God said, my mercy triumphs over judgment. Judge not. That's what we're calling today's message. Mercy over judgment. Have I say, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. I got good news. There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. You've been completely set free. Condemn not. And you yourself will not be condemned. Uh-oh, here it goes. For forgive. Oh, wow. The F word. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. Give. Oh, man. Are you talking about my time, my treasure, and my talent? Yeah, yeah. Give. And it will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together. And running over. Will be put into your lap. Come on, somebody. That's good news. This is, this is the kind of part that's good news or bad news depending on you. Here it is. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about generosity. We're talking about giving of our lives. We're talking about condemnation or no condemnation. We're talking about mercy or no mercy, judgment or no judgment. For the measure you use, it will be measured back on you. So the way that you measure other people, the harshness, the precision, the insistence, the lack of grace, the lack of mercy, or the overflow of mercy, and the overflow of kindness, and the overflow of grace, that is what's measured back to you. James 2.13 says that judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. And because the Bible is so consistent, here's Jesus saying the same exact thing as James said. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. The same measure that you use with other people is going to be used back on you. Does that sound good to you? Or like, oh, man, not me. Don't do that. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think we should all have this. We all have this incredible tendency to form superficial assessments of other people based on our mistaken notion of our own superiority. That's called judgment right there. We have this incredible tendency to form superficial assessments of our other people's reality based on our mistaken notion of our own superiority. If I were in charge, I would never do that. If I were doing that, I would never do that. I would never, I would never, I would never. It's this mistaken notion of I'm better than them, that therefore I would never do what they do. It's called judgment. And Jesus was teaching on that. In Luke 7, 36, we see Jesus gives everybody more than one chance. Here's our text for today. Here's how we know this, okay? One of the Pharisees, ugh, everybody cringe a little bit. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his house and eat with him. The Pharisees were the worst. They were the opposite of merciful towards others. They were by the book, law-driven jerks. And they did it in the name of God. They were legalistic and harsh towards everybody. When they looked at others, all they could see is how much better than they were than those people. They were them and they were us. And we are better than those, the theys. And different points, Jesus said a few things to the Pharisees. I want you to catch it. He said, you are blind guides. He called them a brood of snakes, a brood of vipers. He said, you are whitewashed tombs. Meaning you're painted up looking so good on the outside, but you're inside, you're full of dead man's bones. He said this at one point. He said, you clean the outside of your cup, but on the inside, you are filthy. And all your righteousness is this like filthy rags, which I know it's kind of gross, but it leads towards the menstrual cycle. That's what he's implying. He said, you are so contaminated, so dirty. You look good on the outside, but you are full of Full of it, man. You're just full of it. Jesus said these words out loud in front of people to the Pharisees. 
You, here it is. You travel over land and sea to make one convert. And when you win them, you make them twice as much a son of hell as yourself. I mean, mic drop. Oh my gosh, so much for like not, not casting judgment, Jesus. What kind, of, what kind of jerk can say the truth about these jerks? You hear what I'm saying? No, actually, mercy doesn't make you lose your sense of judgment. I'll say it again. Mercy doesn't make you a moron. Mercy does not make you lose your sense of judgment. My boyfriend cheated on me again, pastor. Mercy over judgment, though, right? No, no, actually. You're worth more than that, sweetheart. Make a better judgment call. <laughs> Judge something. Oh, oh, pastor, my husband beat me again. Mercy, though, am I right? Yeah, am I right, though? No, you're wrong. You can judge that. You should judge that behavior. You can cut that off of your life. See, mercy doesn't make you a moron. Tell the person next to you, mercy doesn't make you a moron. Okay, okay, okay. So, so don't judge others. Don't judge others. But how do I do that in real life and not become some second chance jellyfish with no backbone? I have to judge some things. I have to use some discernment. I can't be a punching bag in a welcome mat that people walk all over, all over my whole life. Someone is going to take advantage of my mercy second chance. Yes, Jesus didn't judge. I want you to catch this. He didn't judge anyone negatively or incorrectly. And yet, listen to what he's saying to the Pharisees. I'm actually going to leave you hanging on this point because tomorrow morning on the dailies, we're going to catch you up how to discern and use mercy and judgment. I've given you four scriptures tomorrow morning on the dailies. Go ahead, sign up, and you're going to discern the difference, and you're going to work the Bible in this area. But I want you to catch this. Brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, blind guides, dirty cups... In Matthew 23, Jesus says seven times, oh my gosh, seven times, woe to you Pharisees. The word woe means that calamity has fallen or is about to fall. Judgment. It's like serious judgment is coming on the Pharisees. So it's safe to say Jesus isn't a huge fan of the Pharisees. Wouldn't you agree? But in Luke 7:36, again, one of the Pharisees, everybody go, oh. Yeah, I'm, you're catching it now. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him now you think man you were you were just giving these guys the woe i mean seven times to completion woe to you judgment is coming you big jerks and now one of them's like you want to come to my house and have lunch but this is what remark it's, it's, it's remarkable because notice what it says after this notice what it says one of the pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went and he went see you can make judgments of fruit without being judgmental of people you can make judgments of behavior without being judgmental of people. Some people will say, well, I am my behavior. No, you're not, sir. No, you're not, sweetie. You are not what you do. But I can make judgments of your behavior without making judgments of people. No judgment, no rejection. He shows this Pharisee acceptance and mercy, which shows that Jesus has chances readily available for everyone. Woo! And he might have despised the Pharisee system and their awful, legalistic, external-focused, false religiosity, but he didn't despise the people behind the facade, behind the uniform. He loved each and every one of these goons. As far out as they were, and as far out as you are, he loves you. He loves you. And so many, there have been so, <laughs> there may have been so many hidden motives behind the Pharisee's ask. 
You know what I'm saying? There, there may have been like true interest in Jesus. Nobody knows the heart of a man. But either way, one of the Pharisees actually asked Jesus over to his house, and Jesus went. He went to this guy's house. Now, having somebody over to your house in this biblical culture, well, it's like today. You know, having somebody at your house is a pretty big deal. I mean, I've known some of you for a long time, and you've never asked me over to your house. <laughs> Why? Because you don't, you don't just invite yourself over to other people's houses. They're like, hey, what are you doing later? Can I come over? It was the same way then. Are you with me? You don't just crash people's football parties. You don't just go to people's wings and eat their, their food, you know. So the Pharisees didn't say, hey, let, let's meet. He didn't say, like, let's go meet at our local coffee shop, Hebrews, and uh, just have a coffee and catch up. No, he didn't say that. He said, come to my house. It's, it's a bad church joke. He said, come to my house for a home-cooked meal. I want to have a one-on-one -on -one with you and your, and your dudes. And that was personal. Personal to give the invitation. Personal to accept the invitation. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went. He didn't judge him. He simply went. He accepted the invitation that was given. But in verse 37, the story starts to change. It says, and behold, bam. That's like when the Bible says, check this out, behold. And while Jesus is reclining at the table, which may seem like a little bit strange to us, they, they didn't have central air for their home, so I just want you to get this. He's like laying out, sprawled out like a rabbit on a hot day. There was no air conditioning in this Middle Eastern heat. And what does heat do? Rise or fall, everybody? It rises, yes. So they would actually not sit up at like high tabletops. They would actually get as low to the ground as they could and eat together. They recline on pillows and have low tables as low as they could to get away from the heat. And that's why Jesus is at the ground at dinner, which is going to become more important when you start to see what happens like back here behind him while he's just chilling with his homies. He reclined at the table and behold, a woman of the city now, a woman of the city, just so you know, that's not like a, a, a flattering description. And it's not like a location address thing. Like, it's like, oh, she lives in the city and she's from the city. No, she's saying like a woman of the world, a woman of the streets of the city. Are you with me? A woman of the city, just in case you were wondering, who is a sinner? The S word, like a really, you know, a sinner. A woman of the streets, that's a sinner. So many Bible scholars say this is a nice way to say she's a prostitute. So you got this big, super self-righteous Pharisee, superior Pharisee, and then you got a prostitute that crashes the party, and Jesus is just hanging out, and this, this woman from the city, who is a sinner, learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she came on over. She crashed in. Question, was she invited or not invited? Right, she was not invited, yes. So she must have wanted to connect with Jesus. And with all the judgment from this home and this location on the street and these people, something gave her access. Something gave her permission inside of herself to say, he's going to love this. I, I don't know why. I just feel like I'm allowed to do this. She's obviously going to get what Jesus has to offer in this moment. So I'd say she was fairly desperate to go in to the, like the super religious superior guy's house and break protocol. No invitation. She just went right into the house. And now we have a prostitute on the property, everybody. Prostitute on the property. There's a prostitute on the property. <laughs> Heads up, there, there's a prostitute at the party. And notice, notice what it says. When she learned that he was reclining at the table, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
When she learned that he was here, she brought something. So if there's a couple other incidences in the gospel where people responded to Jesus like this, this isn't Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Mary, okay? This isn't the lady who anointed Jesus right before his crucifixion. This is a completely different event. I think there's one, two, or three of these that happen. This is a lady of the streets standing here in a house. And I want you to see how merciful and how gracious Jesus is toward her. He's so gracious to her. He actually really likes her probably the most out of anybody at this party. And wherever mercy triumphs over judgment, hello, Hope Church. Hello, Hope Church. Wherever mercy triumphs over judgment, wherever mercy has its way, there's this absolute approach that is essential. This is what we do right here every single weekend. We welcome whoever wants to be here. And we're not interested in the insider as much as we're interested in the outsider. Our attention, our focus, our love, our adoration goes towards people who do not have the hope that we have found in Jesus. We welcome everyone who wants to be here. There is no person who looks wrong. There is no person with the wrong story. There is no person with the wrong stuff. There is no person with the wrong race. There is no person with the wrong background. There is no person who has the wrong orientation. There is no person who is wrong for Hope Church or wrong for Jesus. No matter your background or your beliefs, we believe that you are just right for Jesus. And he likes you. And and he loves you. And he actually likes you as a person. I'm so glad that we're here to discover hope. And you know why? Because what we have in common here on this ground is far greater than anything that could separate us or divide us as much as the world would like to. We have common ground at the mercy seat of Jesus. Okay. And it doesn't matter how you look or what you think of yourself or what others might superficially judge you for. This is a place where we are determined that you will experience the unconditional love of God and, and discover the hope we found in Jesus without judgment. By the way, here you will not find judgment for not serving. You will not find judgment for not showing up. You will not find judgment. We're just happy you're here today. You're welcome here. Only joy-filled anticipation and appreciation for who people are, not what they do. Before you do a darn thing, we love you for who you are. By the way, I don't believe in labeling someone by their sin. Like, oh, she's the prostitute. Oh, she's the woman in the streets. No, she's a person, not a prostitute. Otherwise, we should all be like, hi, I'm a liar. (laughs) What a wonderful label. Hi, I lie a lot. Yeah, yeah, you are a liar. Hi, I'm an arrogant, you fill in the blank. You know what I'm saying? Hi, I'm arrogant. (laughs) Jerk. You know the rest, right? And so I don't think anybody should be labeled by their sin. Hi, I'm a glutton. Obviously, (laughs) that's so funny. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. We don't do that to people. The Bible says we all fall in many ways. This is why we don't judge what Jesus is talking about. We all need Christ's mercy and forgiveness and health and restoration and and healing. All of us like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53. Each of us has turned to our own way and it is mercy and his second chance reality. The Lord has laid upon him, being Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of us have screwed up. All of us have jacked up. The Lord has laid upon Jesus, the iniquity of all of us. We're all in the same field right here. We're all on the same ground. All level at the cross of Jesus. And that's why we can see mercy triumph over judgment every single time. Because I need Jesus too. 
because I'm a train wreck. Whoever did whatever, Jesus welcomes all who come to him. The Pharisee, oh, and the prostitute, oh. It's like Proverbs 3, 7. It says this, do not be wise in your own eyes. It's pretty simple, right? How clear is that? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't assess your own opinion and the opinion of others that may superficially default to, I must be right. I'm always right. I love the way I think. I'm amazing. And here's what the New Testament parallel to that. It will make you rich in mercy. Philippians 2, 3. Here it is in a nutshell. Esteem others better. Better. She's better than me. He's better than me. That Pharisee, that jerk. He's better. That prostitute. She's better than me. Better than yourself. Now that's countercultural today, right? Put other people first. Esteem people over yourself. Think of others first. I mean, and then it goes on to say, let that mind be in you which was in Christ. I mean, how did Christ manage all these extremes? Pharisees and prostitutes in the same party. How did he go to the Pharisee's house and the woman? How do you let all that happen? Well, that was the mind of Christ. To be all things to all men that you might win some. Esteeming others better than myself, but religious hypocrites give selective shots according to their judgments. Watch what happens here. This is so fun. So this lady shows up with an alabaster stone jar with some oils in it, something soothing, something nice for his tooties. The roads are filthy, okay? And the host or hostess was supposed to provide water for their own feet, for the people's feet, if not wash their feet for them. The Pharisee isn't doing that. But the woman stand, the disciples aren't doing that. Nobody's honoring Jesus in this room, not even his own team. But the woman standing behind him, down by his feet. Now remember, he's kind of sprawled out like a rabbit on a hot summer day, right? And she's not at his head up here. She's at his feet back here. She's behind him. Why? Because she didn't really belong here. She's kind of sneaking in. She feels a little shame. Wouldn't you? How do I know? Because she's weeping. Because she's weeping. She's broken. I mean, just imagine what it would be like to be in Jesus' the Lord's presence. Wouldn't you pretty quickly get some of a, a sense of your own sinfulness or shortcomings or, oh my gosh, and this is exactly, this is exactly what happened with Peter from the get-go. Immediate disqualification he did to himself. Jesus does this amazing miracle for Peter on the water. He catches tons of fish, and there's no fish all night. And Peter's first response is to fall on his knees and say, Depart from me, Lord. I am not worth you. I am a sinner. I am worth less than you. This is part of the reason we don't focus on sin all the time here at church. We focus at Hope Church on Savior. Because if we were to focus on our sin, we, we would be depressed and sad and manic and, oh my gosh. Because when you see the Savior for who he really is, look to the Savior, for he has overcome it all. When you see the Savior for who he really is, your first natural tendency is to see how short you measure up. To focus on what you're not and get stuck in shame and disqualifying thoughts. But not you, people of hope. You're too smart for that. You know too much for that. We're smart. We know that if he invites us, he believes in us. He wants us at the meeting. If he allows us, he believes in us. He says, yes, come boldly now to the throne of grace and mercy. He delights in us being here. He says, come now boldly to the throne of help. Come now boldly to the throne of second chances. He honors this woman above so many others because she's coming boldly to the feet of Jesus. I think he's good. I'm not sure. I feel really guilty. I don't feel like I'm good enough. But she comes, and she's going behind him at his feet, wailing, weeping. 
and began to wet his feet with her tears. Now she's wiping his feet with the tears and the hair. So hair and tears and noises and weeping with her hair, knowing how pure and holy and spotless and worthy he is and how not she is. Wiping his feet, kissing his feet, anointing the feet of Jesus. Now when the Pharisees saw this woman who was not invited, they saw this, his response was, this was not in the plan. So he, so to have Jesus over to his house, you know what I'm saying? He had to give an invitation. He had a plan for the meal, a plan for a place to put his posse, who was also sitting around. They probably made a lot of those fancy Mediterranean sandwiches like pita and hummus and a charcuterie board. And, you know, they bring out the peppers and the olives and the cheese, thinking that just kills every party I have. People love that. We're going to get the, with the, with the, with the cheese and the pitas. And the, I, I have a party. Am I right? So you know, what, you know what works. The point is you make a plan. I want to I'm going to tell you something. I got, I got to tell you something for sure. Come on. I got to tell you something. How many of you guys know what I'm going to tell you? I want to tell you, a prostitute crying and kissing Jesus' feet was not in the plan. He did not see this coming. And so he assesses it all wrongly, thinking, of course this version of crazy follows this man. What, what do I expect having Jesus over to my house and this riffraff showing up? Dysfunction Junction follows Jesus. I have never, I cannot believe this. In all my years in this home, no one has ever graced this threshold like this. I mean, only with Jesus could something this dysfunctional be going on in my house. And he's losing even more and more respect for Jesus. The longer this woman weeps and wails and tears and wipes, and he doesn't address it. It says, now when the Pharisee invited him, saw that he kind of said to himself, so he's kind of muttering under his breath, like a judgmental jerk, you know. If this man were a real prophet, if Jesus knew what he was doing at all with his spirituality and his teaching, which is amazing because you'd think he'd go after the random lady that just crashed a dinner party. Like, what the heck are you doing here, honey? Or maybe he'd go after himself for, you know, not having a better security at the door or at the gate or something, you know. But he didn't go after the lady. He didn't go after his own security team. He goes right to the top. And he starts to mutter under his breath, Jesus is the problem. Somehow, this is Jesus' fault. After all, he's not addressing, if this man were a real prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is from the streets that is touching his toes. She's a sinner. Despicable. Now, that's wrong on a lot of points. That is not the attitude or the character of Hope Church. But probably the place where he's most wrong, to the greatest degree, is his assessment of himself. Because upon seeing the failure of another woman, the right response, the first response, the fast response should be, I am no better than her. There I go, but the second chance of God. That is me, except for the mercy of God on my life. Paul says this. I want you to catch this. This is a verse. He says this. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why would you boast as if you had not received it? Right? As soon as someone says, I could never, I would never, my first response is, I could. I would. I could never hit my kids. I, I could. I, I could never cheat on my wife. I could. I could never rob a bank. I could. Well, I could never murder someone, get so angry I blacked out, kills. I could. 
I could never be a prostitute. I could. Male Bigelow, right here. I am this woman. I need the mercy of God in my life. That's me. I'll say, different in specifics, the same in principle. All of us have fallen. All of us are in need of the mercy of God. All of us has found forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and it really works. It's not like I forgive you and I still feel guilty. I'm talking about forgiveness that cleanses you of all unrighteousness, and you never carry the shame, the weight, the baggage, the bondage of it anymore. And it's upon this basis with which we extend mercy to other people because I am that woman. Some will say, I would never do that. I've never done that. Well, all sin is the same. And all sin is not the same. I want you to get this theologically. All sin is the same, and all sin is not the same. Some sin has more perverse and greater consequences, yes. But all sin is the same in the sense that it's not brought under the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It will destroy your destiny and mess up your eternity. But the Bible clearly shows us all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. Isaiah 53, 6 again. But the Lord has laid upon Jesus, the iniquity, the shame, the sin of us all. Now that mindset, that's the mindset that leads to a healthy, life-giving, gospel-sharing, disciple-making church that is rich in second mercy. I am that woman. Let's say it together, church. I am that woman. I am that woman. Let's, let's finish the story. I'm at verse 40 now. Simon, I got something to say to you. Now, whoop, okay. We're at Jesus' dinner party. Not really. This guy, this Pharisee's house. And we got the prostitute. Pharisee, prostitute, two extremes. Notice where the focus shifts. Notice where the focus shifts. He said, I'm not really here to teach the Pharisees anything. They're not catching it. I'm not really here just for this woman. I'm here to build my team. He starts leadership lessons in the middle of this mess. Parable begins in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors, Peter. Just shifts. Not the prostitute, not the Pharisee, looking at Peter. Certain, you know, the guy who said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, I don't belong here. Yeah, this guy. The parable begins in verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now the 500 denarii, bottom line, two years average wage today. 500 denarii. Two years of your wages worth. 50 would be like two months. So one guy thinks, I, uh, one guy thinks I owe two months pay, one guy owes two years pay. One would be hard to pay, the other would be almost impossible for most of us to pay off. So here's this guy, he's a banker or a lender or a loaner, oh, owes a good amount, one owes a, a really good amount, one owes a scary amount. Are you catching me? When they could not pay, he showed him mercy, and he canceled the debt of both of these men. He gave mercy, rich Rich mercy to both of them. He gave them what they did not deserve, which should be jail time or interest time. And he asked Simon, Peter, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon answered, I suppose the, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said, this is an interesting word choice, you have judged rightly. <laughs> then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, then turning, so here, here they are laid out. He looks to the woman at his feet, which he hasn't acknowledged yet. Nothing's happened yet. He looks at the woman and he says to Simon, that's just awkward, isn't it? D do you see this woman with my toes crying and weeping and wailing and, and, and like washing my feet? 
And I think it's so funny. Peter's probably thinking like, yeah, we all see this woman, Jesus. Yeah, we, we all see her. What are you going to do about this, Jesus? Yeah, we all, you mean, you mean the one who's wailing and weeping and wiping your tooties or toes with your hair? This little piggy went to the market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef. This little piggy went. It's like, yeah, we all see what's happening here, Jesus. I see her, Jesus. We, we all see her. And Jesus knows that he sees her, but he doesn't see her. He doesn't see himself in her. Simon doesn't see through mercy the way Jesus sees through mercy. He said, do you see her? This was you six months ago. Can you see that you are no better than her? And you did exactly the same move when I called you. Do you see who this is? What a great question. Because the man on the beach that was looking at me saying, depart from me, I saw him and I see her. I saw him and I see her. I'm the same God and I know we're in front of these men who can't see, but I don't really care about that. Can you see her? Can you see her, Peter? Because the building of my church in the next three to five years, you're going to need to be able to see what I see so you can lead like I lead. And if you can't see like they can't see, you're going to be stuck and never help a darn person in your life. Can you see her? She belongs here in this moment more than any of y'all. And I could care less what they see. But disciple, hope for humanity beyond my being here, do you see her? Do you see her? I entered your house. Disciples, you didn't do jack squat for me. You're missing the mark a lot. You also, also, also go get lunch, and I'm not really hungry, and I have food that you don't know about. It's like, you kind of always are out of it, guys, but can you just be with me for one second and see what I see? You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet her feet with my tears. He goes on. And he wiped, she, she has wiped my feet with her hair, her honor, her value, the most precious thing. You gave me no kiss. And Peter's like, Jesus, if you wanted a kiss, you should have told me you wanted a kiss. I could give you a kiss. No, no. You greeted me with no kiss. And Jesus is like, from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. Man, this is aggressive. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. A.K.I. the big jerk muttering if Jesus really knew who this was. Bam. In other words, my sense of how much I've been forgiven is the thermostat on the heat of my judgment towards others. And when I feel like I've been forgiven a lot, I'm turning down the heat. I'm not putting the heat on others at all. When I feel like, no wonder he saved me. I mean, <laughs> look at me. Look at what I'm doing for him. Look how great, well, I mean, great, great play on your part, Jesus. I mean, really recruited a winner when you got me. You know, <laughs> I'm really gifted. You're welcome, Lord. Right? In the sense of my own righteousness, my own giftedness, my own wonderfulness and betterness than everybody else is what heightens my judgment towards others. Forgiven people are thanking God and looking to their Savior continually. They look to the Savior, for he has overcome it all. Like all the time. They're not assessing others at all or comparing sin continually. 
I look with thankfulness to Jesus. I don't assess others and compare my sin to theirs. And the truth is, every person in this room, watching online, you're either the Pharisee who thinks <laughs> you're better than Jesus, or the woman who receives mercy, knowing that they are in need of Jesus' forgiveness. You are one of these two, Pharisee or prostitute. Which one are you? I am her. I'm the prostitute. And I want to be on a leadership team that learns the lesson to see people. Not label them by their sin, but label them by their person, who they are in Christ. So verse 47 says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She didn't ask for forgiveness. She didn't be like, oh man, here's my speech. See, I ran away from home and I was such a bad son, I wasted my inheritance. No, none of that garbage. Washed his feet. She's forgiven. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And then he turns to the woman and says to her, your sins are washed away. Your sins are no more. Your sins are forgiven, gone. Come on, how awesome is that, church? How awesome is that? Think of all the places she'd been, all the things that she had done, all the shame and the baggage she felt about it. And Jesus forgave her her debt, her huge debt load, much sin, instantly. If her sins were on a keyboard, he hit the delete button. If her sins were on an Etch-a-Sketch, he shook it clean. If her sins were on the sand of a shore, he sent a big wave of mercy crashing down on the record of her wrongs, wave after wave after wave of aggressive mercy gone into the sea of forgetfulness. The record was gone. Her sins were forgiven. What a mercy moment. She was in the wrong house. I want you to catch this. She was at the wrong time. She was sitting around the wrong people. She felt so out of place. You might be sitting here today. You might feel like, I don't know if these people are my people. I don't know if this place is my place. But everything went so right when she turned her eyes on Jesus. Everything went so right when she looked to the Savior. She was just right for Jesus. Verse 49, then they who were at the table began to say among themselves, who does this joker think he is that even can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, without acknowledging them, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you because salvation and freedom and forgiveness are by faith. They're not by what you feel like in a crowd like this. They're not by what you, 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 your washings or your rights or your wrongs or making it right or working really hard. It's by faith through grace, a gift of God, lest anybody could say it's anything else. Amen, church? I think sometimes we underestimate the power of seeing God doing something in our lives even when we feel out of place. It's our heart that everyone feel welcome and belong here. But let's be honest, some people don't even feel like they belong in their own homes. And they live there. Some people don't feel like they belong in their city, their country, their workplace. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, all those issues of 
discombobulated and not fitting and not owning and not knowing where you're supposed to. You could be surrounded by Pharisees in a stuffy, self-righteous environment full of peacocks cocking. Everyone judging you. Obvious that you don't belong. Obvious you're broken and desperate and emotional. And if Jesus is in the room, you don't even care. You get over all the judgment. Get over what everybody who's a hypocrite is thinking about. You get over what everybody who's on your side is. And you just focus your eyes on Jesus. And you know in that moment, right here, right now, there's no fear. I know it's going to be all right. I mean, who cares when love himself, mercy himself, grace himself is seeing right through your mistakes in this moment. He, his love transcends who is around you. His love transcends what you feel about you. His love transcends where you've been and what you've done. And he is for you today. So right now, right where you're at, I want you to connect to the mercy of God. I want you to connect today to the salvation of God. I want you to connect to the healing of God. He's here for you today, and he has freedom from shame and pain available to you. Let's turn our eyes on Jesus.